Hey, this is Kale. I want to quickly remind you that this episode has spoilers for the Radioactive Man comic from Bongo Comics. Also, this is part one of a two-parter series that we're doing on Radioactive Man. Enjoy the show. Look out, Radioactive Man. Hello and welcome to another episode of Matt and Kale Read Comics. Every episode, Kale and I discuss a different graphic novel. My name is Matt Smith. I am a British and Canadian cartoonist and comics educator, currently living outside of Glasgow, Scotland. Hi, and I'm Kale Werke. I'm a longtime mainstream comic book fan, cosplayer, podcaster, collector, and former filmmaker. I, I feel like your your uh, <laughs> your titles are getting longer as we continue this episode or continue making episodes. <laughs> That's quite true. I'm going to keep adding things to my life, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, man. Always moving forward. Kale, I am so excited for this episode. We are talking about Radioactive Man, Bart Simpson's favorite comic book. This is a character that was uh, introduced originally in The Simpsons, one of my favorite cartoons of all time. I know it was one of your favorite shows of all time. Uh, you and I are huge fans, especially of the early stuff. Um, we'll talk about that a bit more, but I... I have fallen behind quite a bit on the show, but the, the, the sweet spot of like seasons three through eight, the golden years, huge, huge fan of The Simpsons. I know those episodes pretty well off by heart, probably. Bart Simpson, his favorite comic book character in that world is Radioactive Man. In 1993, the creator of The Simpsons, Matt Groening, and the producers of The Simpsons, they invented Bongo Comics. They made simpson comics for the first time but they also made bartman comics that was bart simpson's invented superhero character they also made itchy and scratchy comics and then they also turned radioactive man into an actual comic book character an actual comic that they printed and sold i love this series so much kale i've read it so many times since it first came out i reread it again a couple months ago and i reread it again this week just to get ready to talk about it i i can't tell you how excited i am kale i love this i love this series so much what did you think and I'm excited for you because, I mean, I love The Simpsons and I definitely enjoyed reading the Radioactive Man comic series. I had basically stayed away from The Simpsons comics because I thought that they actually took away from the show. There's so much lost when you take away the voice acting and the uh, music and all those other elements that kind of add to an episode of The Simpsons. And so I just stayed away from Simpsons comic and Simpsons comics in general. And when, you know, Matt, you brought up uh, reading uh, reading Radioactive Man, I was kind of curious. And I, I mean, I, I enjoyed the ride. I feel like I have some, uh, you know, different points of view on it just because I, I don't know if Radioactive Man needed a whole bunch of comics, but like I, I understand why they did it. And maybe we can talk about, you know, the storylines and stuff and we can uh, kind of elaborate more on why I, I still kind of feel unsure about the comic form for The Simpsons. Well, I mean, that's that's kind of a broader thing that you brought up. I mean, you're, you're, you're we're talking macro now before we get to the micro of this particular series. But I think it's interesting that you think that the voice acting is is missing so much because I, I enjoyed the Simpson comics. I was a huge collector of the regular Simpsons series as well. I think it's so funny that you have a problem not hearing or you think the voice, the lack of voice actors is a, a, is an issue or stumbling block to reading the Simpson comics. Cause I've been a huge fan of the, the Simpson comics as well. I was a big collector of that main series and I find it so easy to read and hear the voice actors because the, the voice actors are so ingrained, so imprinted in my mind, you know, 
picking up an issue of the Simpson comics, I can't help but hear, you know, Dan Castellaneta, Nancy Cartwright, Hank Azaria, Julie Kavner, Harry Shearer, Yardley Smith, I hear them come to life. And we talked about this with Batman the Animated Series comics, you know, you can't help but hear Mark Hamill and Kevin Conroy. So I think if you gave the Simpson comics a chance, you would hear their voices and that wouldn't be as much of a stumbling block or a roadblock as, as you think it is. I think it's also the timing, the comedic timing that the show had uh, or has right now. I don't know. There's something missing. Like there are certain scenes in this book also like, you know, uh, that I I think would have been better in an animated form than in a comic. I I think there's a lot of the spirit of the Simpsons humor in these issues of the Radioactive Men. And I've got some notes. We'll talk about it as we kind of get into more specifics. But you know, some very Simpson-y things with like jokes on signs and like background jokes and reoccurring things. You know, Matt Groening, he is really hung up on Nixon. And he talked about how when he was a kid, Richard Nixon was always on TV. It's just, it's just such a villainous character in real life. And Nixon is always made fun of in The Simpsons. And he shows up throughout these issues of Radioactive Man as kind of this reoccurring character this kind of villain in the background and the last page has nixon's disembodied head in a jar very much like what would become the uh the standard gag on futurama so there's a lot of things that you know matt granning and the other simpson creators you know they're they're things that they're kind of interested in so it does feel like it very much fits in that world so i i loved it as a as a fan of the simpsons i know this is the first time you've read it i just want to take you back to my first experience with this. So you've, you've talked often, Kale, about the uh, the bookstore in the mall that your parents would take you to when they were shopping. When I would visit my family in England, my grandparents, my dad's parents lived in this really t- small town, Buntingford, uh, really, really tiny town. And they had this high street, you know, like the main street, and they had a few stores and they had the, the newsagent store. And that's where my grandparents would buy me the Beano comics that had the Bass Street Kids and the British version of Dennis the Menace. And I, I've read those and enjoyed those, but they were definitely aimed at a younger audience. And then in the summer of 1993, we were visiting my grandparents, and there's very little to do in their house. And we went to the the newsagent, and they had this issue of Radioactive Man. And I just didn't know what the heck it was. It was drawn in the style of The Simpsons, but it was a superhero comic. And it's just the crazy bold colors. It was the third issue, the one where he uh, is saying, Jeepers, my sidekick Fall Out Boy is a dirty hippie. And Fall Out Boy is given the peace symbol and he's dressed in flowery uh, outfits and he's got the glasses on and Radioactive Man is just shocked and his hands are, you know, raised up in this sort of shocked sort of grimace. And I loved it. I took it home and I read it. And then because, again, there was very little to do, I just read it again and again and again. And just because there are these things in the background, there's things that pick up. And what I loved about this series is, you know, at the time, I didn't really understand that it was a spoof. You know, I didn't understand all these references and how it was picking apart comics of the 70s. But because it was a superhero comic and because it was done in this very appealing Simpsons style that I loved because I loved the cartoon show, you know, it hooked me. And I, I just that's what I love about these comics. Like for me, and maybe you could agree or disagree, but it just works on all these levels. Like there is like this sort of surface level of this enjoyable superhero story. Then there's this sort of deconstruction, making fun of superheroes. Then there's all these like references. And then there's all these like references, not just to superhero stories, but also political and historical events and jokes about the the time period that it's set in and also references to The Simpsons as well. And that's what I just love. There's just so many things. It was almost, you know, 
I'm rereading it now. I, I saw even new stuff this week rereading it. So it felt very much like Watchmen in that case. And I've read this probably, you know, I don't know if I've read it more times, but I've been reading this issue again and again, these issues again and again, longer than I got into, before I got into Watchmen. And, you know, it almost now is reminding me a bit of like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, you know, the Alan Moore story. Have you read those books? Yes, I have read those books. What I love about those are that they work as a very enjoyable sort of send up of superhero comics, but there's also just tons of references and like almost every panel has something and like both League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and Radioactive Man need like their own appendices just to go through what is like, you know, what is being alluded to and reference in every page. Um, and it also, it kind of reminded me of uh, Shaun of the Dead. Are you a fan of that film? Because I love that film. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Shaun of the Dead and any of Edgar Wright's like movies, like his stuff yeah. is so good. But what I like about his, you know, that Cornetto trilogy of Shaun of the Dead, especially I'm a big zombie fan. So that's my favorite by far, but Hot Fuzz as well. And uh, End of the World, Edge of the World. End of the World. End of the World. What I like about all those is that they, they're, they're spoofing their genres, but they're also doing it lovingly, but they're also just great examples of that genre. Like they're almost like Shaun of the Dead is a zombie deconstruction, but it's also one of the best zombie movies that I've seen. Uh, it's also like Scream. I love Scream. It's a slasher movie and it works on that surface level, but it also works on that deconstruction level. So it, it's picking it apart. It's deconstructing it, but it's also at the same time being one of the best examples. And that's what I love about this. Um, so I, I, I'm bursting with appreciation, and this is just such a great celebration of, of comics, a celebration of the medium and, and superheroes and the genre of superheroes. Ah, oh, I'm so excited to get into this, Kale. I'm so excited for you, <laughs> because <laughs> I, 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 I definitely got all the references that were in this book while I was just kind of reading through it, because obviously I'm kind of, uh, I don't know, I just have such an in-depth knowledge of comics from just being a fan for so long. Um, but yeah, I, I will, we'll see. Like, I, I want to just going to go through maybe these like six issues that we kind of covered in, in this for this episode and mm -hmm. then maybe find, uh, yeah, those references and key points that we want to bring up. And um, yeah, I'm interested to see what your point of view is on this because you love this book so much and I didn't quite like it. So, <laughs> oh man, I'm so disappointed because you said you you got it and i yeah. don't know okay well let's let's bring it back because i just want to get a little bit of context because this book is out of print so it's a little bit harder to track down so not everyone might know that much about this character but radioactive man uh bart simpson's favorite character favorite comic book he was first mentioned in bart the genius that was actually the second episode of the simpsons ever broadcasted um you can look it up online and we'll share this on our social media um, the original, like the first time they ever showed him on screen, uh, his design was different and his coloring was all off. Like he had like blue and green and like didn't have the Simpsons yellow skin even. Um, so he looked quite different. But then in season two, the three men and a comic book episode, which aired on the 9th of May, 1991, it was all about Bart and Milhouse and Martin pooling together a hundred dollars to buy radioactive man. Number one, uh, Kale, did you rewatch this episode? Um, getting ready for this show. I've, uh, I well, I've seen all three episodes, uh, but I, I, what I can kind of, uh, it, well, what is my, blah, let me try again. I did not watch this episode, but I did watch the episode where Millhouse is 
recruited to be Fallout Boy in the Radioactive Man movie, which is one of my favorite episodes of all time. And Fantastic episode. Yeah, exactly. But I do recall that episode you're talking about where they buy this comic book together. And uh, yeah, they have, you know, this conversation with uh, the, the the store clerk at, you know, the comic, comic store. book guy. Yeah. So, yeah, but they bought it for $100, which is insane yeah. because just for context, in 1991, when this issue, or sorry, when this episode aired in 1991, an issue of Detective Comics number 27, that's the first appearance of Batman, that sold in 1991 for $55,000. And then Bart, Milhouse, and Martin only had to spend $100 for Radioactive Man number one. Well, you know, it, it's it's big money for uh, for you know a bunch of kids, right? So that I, makes I know, sense. Just <laughs> you would think that the creators of The Simpsons would at least be a little bit more aware of how much something like that would cost. Um, <laughs> just really quick before we move on, um, Milhouse, do you know where his name actually comes from? No, I it do not. It is the middle name of Richard Nixon. Oh my god! So again, Matt Groening's fascination, preoccupation with uh, with Richard Nixon. Uh, he named Bart's favorite or uh, best friend uh, after Richard Nixon. But yeah, you mentioned uh, a couple seasons later. So this was season seven, the episode called Radioactive Man, which aired on September 24th, 1995. So that episode came out after this uh, six issue miniseries of Radioactive Man had been published. Um, yeah, Rainier Wolfcastle, the Simpsons universe version of um, Arnold Schwarzenegger is cast as Radioactive Man and Milhouse becomes Fall Out Boy. Amazing episode, yeah. Uh, also, the first Simpsons episode to be digitally colored. So oh. it uh, also has a place in Simpsons history. Wow, I had no idea. Uh, yeah, like just weirdly, AV Club shared a, a video breaking down the evolving look of the Simpsons uh, at the TV and through the seasons. And they said that was kind of a turning point. It was one of the first times, or was the first time they digitally colored. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, little fun fact for you. But... This episode, or so this series, you know, like I said, they wanted to bring Radioactive Man to life. What I just really liked, I just want to bring this up. So what was really cool about this is Radioactive Man had originally in the Simpsons universe been published in 1952. So the first issue, Radioactive Man 1 of this miniseries, the cover date was 1952. And then the second issue, it wasn't actually issue 2. It was actually issue 88. And the cover date is May 1962. And then it jumps ahead to the 70s um and so the third issue to come out was actually number 216 then the next issue jumps to the early 80s and the cover date is october 1980 and it's issue 412 then the fifth issue is the mid to later 80s and that's issue 679 and uh, the date is january 1986 and then radioactive man 6 is number is issue number a thousand actually and that was uh, cover dated January 1995. So that caught up to the present day of when these were actually coming out. Um, but that's what I, I thought of such a cool thing to take us through the history of this fictional character. But also uh, it spoofed all the different, uh, you know, decades of superhero comics. Um, but what I liked just jumping to the third one, which, you know, said it took place in the 70s and it was like 400 and something but it just, there's so much of this larger world, you know, they keep talking about all these other adventures they had and they've got the classic comic book footnotes, you know, like, oh, you know, they mention a character, they mention all these characters we don't see, it just lets you know there's this larger world. And it also, they have these footnotes like, oh, this character was last seen an issue, whatever. Um, it's very classic comic book. My favorite footnote 
Kale was in the last issue. Bug Boy is talking about Radioactive Man's lightning bolt, and he's saying, we can't just cut it off since we learned from a rather unpleasant experience. And the footnote says, see Radioactive Man number 812, the day Zenith died a horrible, fiery death. And it's just <laughs> tossed off in a, like a footnote joke. And I love it. That's this huge overblown title of just like the entire city was destroyed and it's just given to us in a in a footnote but i don't know like did you did it entice you is it just because i read it at the right age that it just really i was like oh my gosh there's so much other adventures and then it just invites you to to use your imagination to to fill in all these decades and all these hundreds of issues that we're not seeing and just it felt like such a realized world with only giving us these little little pieces yeah, I, I mean, I was just kind of always comparing it to that episode of uh, The Simpsons with Rainier Wolfcastle for whatever reason, just because of the, yeah, just the character and stuff. And I, I, I thought that, you know, like, I, I just enjoyed more of the in-jokes, the comic in-jokes about, uh, like, you know, references to, you know, Batman, Superman, the Hulk, uh, mm-hmm. Green, uh, uh, Green Arrow. Um, yes. Uh, and uh, Spider-Man. Um, you know, there's so many of those like moments where I'm like, oh, it's going to happen, you know, and they somehow like make a joke of it uh, out of it. And it's kind of nice to, you know, see those kinds of references in the book. I I, I think that, yeah, it's a great like tie into the Simpsons series and overall. I just, yeah, I I just, I love, yeah, just it's, it's, it's clearly written as a love letter to comics and superheroes in particular. And that's what I, I really enjoyed. So, uh, the credits for most of the issues, and they've had some help as they went through, but the scripts and layouts were credited to Steve Vance. The finished art and co-plots on most of the issues were by Bill Morrison, and then co-plot and the colors were by Cindy Vance. And Steve and Cindy were actually are actually married, a husband-wife team, um, which I always thought was really cool. Like I would love for Emma to get uh, into making comics with me, but she always says it takes too darn long. Um, so it was these three really carried this this uh, series through. Bill Morrison. Um, do you know that name, Kale, from like Simpsons DVDs and Futurama DVDs? Uh, no, I don't quite recall. I, I just recognize, well, I knew him from, from these comics, but um, the Futurama DVD, they show the making of Futurama and it shows Matt Groening designing the characters in his like really loose, sketchy style. Like Matt Groening, if you saw Matt Groening draw the Simpsons, you would think that it's not a professional Simpsons animator because his style is much looser and, and sketchier. And then he hands it off to animators and, you know, uh, more classically trained artists like Bill Morrison. He cleaned up all the, the character designs to make them look more like actual polished Simpsons and Futurama characters. So he's heavily involved. He was heavily involved at the early stages of Futurama, just taking Matt Groening's ideas and rough designs and turning them into more like, you know, polished on you know on model character sheets sort of so to make them actually look like the house style so um i just i love bill morrison's art like he really nails that simpsons house style when you as the simpson comics continue mm-hmm. they start experimenting with more artists and radioactive man they did do more issues after these main six and when bill morrison's not on art it really does start to you know, there's a lot of leeway, and I, I don't like that. I like that these all look like they're just plucked from the screen of The Simpsons. Hmm. Yeah. No, I really liked it too. Uh, because have you ever read Matt Groening, uh, Matt Groening's other books, like his actual like comics? 
yeah, so he, Matt Groening started with the Life in Hell uh, yes. series. It was like a weekly series. Mm-hmm. Um, I've read a few. I don't know. What's your take on Matt Groening's uh, solo projects? Yeah, I, I, I haven't been too big of a fan of his projects. And, you know, I, I picked it up because I thought, you know, oh, The Simpsons is going to be kind of funny to read. And it it was good. It was good. It has his own like kind of, you know, style to it. But overall, I felt that, yeah, the, the art was a bit too rough for me. And, and, you know, if, you know, speaking to what you're just saying, maybe the the animators and the professionals behind The Simpsons kind of really cleaned up that art to make it look more palatable and you know if you really want a reference just look at like the sketches for the tracy allman show and you can see you know the original designs of the simpsons and you're like wow that's really rough yeah this video that i saw in the av club it was talking about how in the early days they just kind of took his sketches and just kind of animated them but then they had to polish them up a little bit just so that they you know can use any angle in any situation but I don't know, man. I mean, all credit to Matt Groening. You know, he invented The Simpsons, which I love. But I, I think it's just funny that if Matt Groening applied uh, for a job as a Simpson animator, I don't think he would make the cut just because his he. I think he struggles with making that the the polished Simpsons house style. Um, but this this character. So getting back to Radioactive Man, um, you kind of already alluded to this, but Claude Kane is his secret identity and i just love that name claude kane it's got the alliteration of the sounds um but also his name also means that he's a claude it's it's so good uh he is this kind of mix of batman slash bruce wayne you know he's, he's a rich playboy billionaire he's this kind of mix of clark kent and superman very much kind of this super powered all powers sort of like superman and also desperately trying to protect his secret identity uh you mentioned he's a little bit like the hulk you know, the transformation when he gets caught in a radioactive bomb test, and that's what's given him his powers. Uh, a little bit of Captain America being this kind of, uh, you know, he's kind of out of time, you know, doesn't understand what the hippies are saying. And he's very much rooted in like these kind of 1950s sensibilities. Mm-hmm. Even though he hasn't been frozen like Captain America, he just kind of sticks to this sort of mindset. Um, the lightning bolt. So, what I, you know, there's all these things that they, you know, they took from the Simpsons, you know, the design of the character has this yellow lightning bolt sticking out of his head. Obviously, I think it was originally intended just to be like a, a, a costume feature. But in this series, the lightning bolt is a piece of shrapnel that was embedded in his head when he was caught in that atomic explosion, that, uh, that atomic bomb test. What do you think of the lightning bolt as this kind of uh, ongoing gag, this running gag? Yeah, I thought that was pretty funny when he tries different hats later on like let's say i think it was in the 80s or in the 90s where he tries a backwards baseball cap yes i love that <laughs> and it's just like he's obviously hiding something underneath uh that cap and so it's really funny that he kind of goes through this process of trying to you know hide it from uh from gloria grand who he has a crush on yeah i just it's this ongoing thing he's constantly trying to get it removed because he can never go hatless in public and so every time he takes her on a date he wears like a cowboy hat or um there's in the 70s issue 
Um, Mary, Ty- Mary Tyler Moore is throwing her hat in the air, like in the opening credits of her show, and it lands on his head. And he's like, oh, thank God. And like it covers up his lightning bolt. But it's just such a great twist <laughs> on trying to keep your secret identity secret. You know, Superman's always got to make sure no one sees him changing and has to make sure he's got his glasses on. Uh, but Claude Kane, no one can ever see his lightning bolt and he can never take his hat off. I just, oh, it's so funny and so stupid but it works so well um yeah and the lack of the lightning bolt eventually turns him evil right so that's yeah. <laughs> that's uh, you know a few issues uh, in the future but we can go through that later <laughs> he, can, he can never take it removed is this, this this tragedy ah uh, it it's just such a silly but amazing thing uh his sidekick and his ward is rod runtledge um who did you think who did you catch that he was kind of a, a reference to rod like i i thought he was kind of like um the flanders rod like for whatever reason but oh yeah simpson's name i didn't think about that yeah but i was thinking um the simpsons episode when homer goes to space the inanimate carbon rod but that episode aired after this one (laughs) so i don't know if that was a deliberate reference but you know carbon rods nuclear power there's connection but Rod himself, his character is very much a mix of Dick Grayson and the Jason Todd Robbins. Uh, is also Peter Parker and Spider Man, uh, but also a little bit of Scott Summers' Cyclops because he's got a twin brother. Cyclops has like a younger brother, Alex Summers Havoc, who was lost in a plane crash and lost his parents in a plane crash, and that's the same kind of origin for for Rod. Yeah, I know. I mean, I, I thought of that. Uh, there's an a moment in this comic where he's trapped underneath some heavy machinery and I was waiting for him to do his Spider-Man moment of like, you know, thinking of like, you know, all the people that he needs to help to, mm-hmm. to lift it above his head. And I was waiting for it and it never happened. <laughs> well, he, he does his flashback to his origin. Then he just kind of gets himself together and then remembers that he's, you know, atomically powered and is able just to push it off. But that, yeah, that very much that classic Spider-Man issue uh, that they paid homage to in Spider-Man Homecoming, where he's trapped and has to kind of psych himself up and remembers what he's got on the stake. And in this case, he's remembering his uh, his aunt. He's got a, his Aunt June instead of Aunt May. He's got to go rescue Aunt June. Um, and you mentioned Claude Kane's girlfriend, Gloria Grant, who's a reporter at various times in the series. She's either on uh, radio or on TV. Um but they all have alliterative names. So Claude Kane, Rod Runtledge, Gloria Gla- Gloria Grand. Uh, as a longtime comic book fan, collector, cosplayer, I can't remember the other uh, title you gave yourself this week, Kale. But <laughs> do you know you know why they so, so many superheroes have alliterative names? Bruce Banner, Scott Summers. Obviously, it's so that people can remember their names easier. That is true, but more importantly than just people, it's so that Stan Lee could remember their names because he was writing so many different characters. Uh, he said he just needed a, a mnemonic device to remember, okay, I, if I can remember at least one of their names, I can remember the other one. So that's why so many of Stan Lee's classic characters have alliterative names and it's just kind of become a, a superhero trope. Right, exactly. I mean, Peter Parker. Uh, yeah. Bruce Banner. Reed Richards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyways, so getting into the issues themselves, um, just, there's so many things and I just love that, you know, they just, they paid so much attention, you know, the speech balloons change. The first issue has these kind of very bubbly 1950s speech balloons. And then as the issues progress, they become kind of just kind of one kind of smooth round oval balloon shape. 
Um, this is kind of a thing that Watchmen did where the different time periods had different balloons to reflect what you would see in comics from that time. Uh, and the perspectives are changing. You know, the, the first issue, the layouts, the, the page layouts are very kind of uh, straightforward. You know, not a lot of flash there. And even the movements of the characters are very kind of lateral. You know, they're kind of moving across the page. No one's really coming at you, the reader. Um, very few close-ups, a lot more wider angles. So, it, you know, not just the writing, not just the style, not just like, you know, the types of characters they're interacting with and type of situations, but the layouts and the the way the characters are drawn is very much mimicking and paying homage to that that time period. But you said you kind of want to go through issue by issue because they are these kind of standalone. There's mm -hmm. narrative threads that go without. So that 50s one, you know, very much this sort of uh, golden age of comics. His origin is very kind of the origin of the Hulk. Uh, the first issue is very much like, you know, the D Detective Comics 27, the introduction of Batman, Bruce Wayne. Uh, what do you think of that one? The uh, the 1950s? I, I thought I thought overall, like it was a, uh... I got the references. I, I enjoyed the fact that uh, uh, they had such like, you know, like they, they were talking about the uh, the comics code almost at, at you know, one point. Yes. Um, and <laughs> the references, you know, with. Yeah. Like Nixon is always there. This is, I guess, the beginning of Nixon's uh, career in this comic. <laughs> so, he shows up in the first issue. Yeah, exactly. So I, I enjoyed those references and like the. Um, yeah, but not it, only not only does he show up, but Radioactive Man gives Nixon the idea of uh, wiretapping his enemies. Yeah, that's right. Radioactive Man causes uh, Watergate. Yeah, um, yeah. Even the you know the Fortress of Solitude, where he tries to build that himself, and you know it, it's just like a, a silly origin story. Um, I and you know the Gloria Grand and how much she kind of loathes. Claude in general and Claude is just kind of obsessed with her yeah, that's so funny like they, that's like a through line I guess for for all these comics right um yeah and she yeah I mean that it's, it's a, a play Superman. I think on the yeah it is exactly Superman Clark Kent and Lois Lane like she's in love with Superman but she can't stand Clark Kent but like Gloria Grand like loathes Claude Kane Mm -hmm. Like it's not even like dismissive like Lois Lane is of uh Clark Kent she freaking hates this guy the first issue especially with the Fortress of Solitude uh, gag. I, I really like that where he just like forgets to make a door. So he just kind of like makes a hole <laughs> in it. And they're constantly breaking through walls. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and windows and things like that. And yeah, definitely not using the front door. It's kind of funny. Um, but they call attention to it. Like it's such a superhero trope as well. And like, I think it was in that first issue where Dr. Crab says, you know, for a capitalist, you show such disregard for private property when he bursts through his wall. <laughs> and then a couple issues later, Fall Out Boy bursts through Gloria Grand's window and he, he flies away and she thinks to herself, like, who's going to pay for this window? Yeah, exactly. So, I, I yeah, it was overall like, you know, I, I like those those references. Um, and oh, yeah, Zenith City. Like I, I kept thinking of the actual brand Zenith and how does that actually you know, because the logo even looks like the brand Zenith. What What is Zenith? Is it a, a household Elect goods and electrics? Yeah, it, it's like an electronics manufacturer. So okay, yeah. I don't know how they actually managed to, you know, sneak it into the comic. I guess they, Zenith as a brand didn't care. I mean, I don't think it, uh, it was a major player back in the 90s, but it's not much of anything anymore. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, you can't own the name Zenith. You know, it, it you know it exists in the in the dictionary, but yeah, that lightning sort of zigzag in this one, obviously, you know, electricity, power, atomic power, but yeah, yeah, that is weird that it is so close. Do they actually Sorry. explain how he got the lightning bolt in his head, or is it? I, I mean, I, I kept reading like the bomb goes off, and you see the bomb, the mm-hmm. the uh, the uh, energy from the bomb kind of go through him, but you don't quite see like a lightning bolt coming in, like lodging itself at his head, right? No, I mean, because he doesn't realize it until a couple panels in. Um, but it's yeah, it's supposed to be like a piece of shrapnel from the the casing of the bomb, I guess, because um. He emerges from the the smoke as everything's kind of clearing and the dust is clearing. And then he sees his shadow and realizes he's got this uh this piece in his head. But that was I love that. That made me laugh so much as a kid. Where he he comes out of this explosion and he's surprised that he's alive and he feels all powerful and he goes, "Darn, that was a new tux." So he's concerned that his he's ruined his suit. Like there was parts <laughs> that made me laugh so much when I was a kid. Um, you know the 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 references to comics but also just there's there's jokes in this man i mean i think it is like i said like you know it it feels like it was written by people who are part of that simpsons universe the uh the other thing about the 50s one there's so many background jokes did you notice mr moneybags from monopoly is at the orphan's ball on like page two when claude is going on the date with gloria grand I had no idea. See, maybe because I was kind of speed reading it through this yeah. week that I really didn't pay attention to the side gags that were on there. But yeah, uh, I I did not notice. Uh, oh, there he is. <laughs> yeah, there's all these little background characters in the 70s issue. You could see Marge's hair in the crowd when Bar- or when Radioactive Man and uh, Bleeding Heart are at the Spoon Inn. Uh, Homer and Mr. Burns are in the, uh, that ad on the second issue, I think with the, uh, the like scary monster masks. So there's all these like little background characters, just like a really good Simpsons episode. Um, and speaking of background stuff, there's all these, uh, signage jokes. So like signs on buildings and that's a classic Simpsons thing. You know, it really Simpsons, everyone said, you know, uh, it really took advantage of like VCR recording so you could pause and see all the backgrounds and you missed the first time. But when Claude Kane is going into this uh, test site, this town that's made up to for the atomic bomb test, he passes a saloon that is the El Barto Saloon. And that's Bart Simpson's uh, graffiti uh, name. And then in every almost every issue, there's a different sign that uh, pays uh, tribute to the creators who inspired this error. So issue one, Radioactive Man goes to confront Dr. Crab at Finger's House of Giant Props. Uh, reference to Bill Finger, what the co-creator of Batman. And also, you know, Batman is infamous for having these giant props right he would fight characters on (laughs) issue two that same uh the same building fingers is being converted into the kirby company's giant equipment rental and that issue (laughs) is very much uh jack kirby style art in the third issue they pass by or they stop at o'neill's cafe an homage to denny o'neill um and at that cafe green lantern and um green arrow get out of a, a jeep and then issue five, they're talking about the Gibbons Amendment, reference to Dave Gibbons, co-creator of The Watchmen. And then issue six, which uh, I'm going to assume maybe is your favorite issue, and we'll get to that. But uh, he meets Crab outside of the abandoned bowling alley called McFar Lanes. <laughs> so good. <laughs> so good, so good. Um, 
issue yeah issue one man oh you mentioned the the they were making fun of the comics code authority mm-hmm. which came out in the in the 50s and it really kind of hampered a lot of comics um the the history in this is pretty accurate a lot of other publishers went up against william m Gaines, the who eventually created uh, mad magazine but before that he was publishing ec comics the this horror line that had these really grotesque over the top really fun twisted horror comics and other publishers were saying no this is indecent this is causing juvenile delinquency and they kind of ganged up on him and he had to stop publishing because everyone else decided they're going to start following this the comics code authority and in this um in this universe they invented they invented the cartoon conduct code program and do you i didn't realize until this reread do you know what the the initials stand for or the initials make for cartoon conduct code program uh, CCCP, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the USSR, like he's, yeah. they're they're so he's so obsessed with rooting out communism and fighting communism, and then he supports the CCCP. I thought that was brilliant. <laughs> I I really enjoyed those the comic covers that he had when he was going through these like horror comics because I thought that that was kind of indicative or it was just kind of like a, a nice like homage to the old um horror comics that i i mean i've seen those comics so like yeah. i i know what those covers look like and i was like oh yeah those exactly look like that but it's just a little bit you know you know simpsonized it's it's pretty funny yeah well the, the one that's front and center and i'm looking at it now that i just loved stab comics um and someone is a close-up of an eyeball and then someone's holding the safety scissors like the kids safe scissors up to the eyeball and that's just brilliant for Simpsons fans because it makes me just think of um, Ralph Wiggum complaining about the scissors and uh, their teacher saying, well, these scissors couldn't cut anything. <laughs> they don't even trust the kids. And Wiggum finds a way to make those dangerous. <laughs> yeah. um, I also like the end of this uh, end of this issue <laughs> where he like throws away all of his comics into the river and the river is just full of just junk. <laughs> Yeah. And there, you know, he said that's one's the first step to a cleaner, healthier America as, yeah, it joins all the trash and the, the waste being piled in. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love it. I love it. Okay. So that was, that was the first one. The second one, we jumped to the 60s and this is such a Kirby issue. And right away, what I loved about it is the, the art style changes just subtly. You know, he's got these big Kirby hands. Um, and, Kirby is very much about foreshortening, which is, you know, this art term where it's extreme perspectives where different parts of the body are drawn much larger to make it seem like it's kind of coming at you. So, like I said, in the first issue, the characters are kind of moving kind of across the page. But in this issue, they're coming at you and they're looking at you and they're flying towards us and their fists are much larger than their head as they're reaching out towards us. You know, fists clenched, palms open, flying towards us like it's just already such a different, uh, such a change in the perspective. Um, it's just a really cool, subtle tweaking of that Simpsons house style to make it a little bit Kirby-esque. Um, I've really, really loved that and appreciated that. Yeah, I, I liked the, oh, I forget. What's this? What's the character's name? The Magmo? The green, the green one? The green one? Oh, uh, you're talking about the Superior Squad? Yeah, Superior Squad. Oh, Captain Squid? Or, or Plasmo? I think it's Plasmo, the, the green one. 
the the Doctor Strange sort of ripoff whose yes. face is perpetually shrouded in darkness and Radioactive Man calls on that. You only kind of see these bulbous uh, Simpson eyes in this black underneath this purple hood. I love it. I know. And, you know, it really did remind me of those classic 60s comics, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, the Eternals or something like that, where um, or, or the new gods of New Genesis, you know, and like the, the Kirby-esque kind yes. of uh, like these characters that have like these like um, they're not superhero costumes. They're not skin tight, but they're just kind of like, you know, real clothes or cloaks that they wear on top. And so. I, I love that. I was just like, oh, yeah, that's I get that reference to like, you know, Kirby and Jack Kirby and his kind of character design at the time. But you're so right. I didn't even I've never even thought about that. But that's one of the Kirby's folds, you know, these dark black inky folds that it does make the, the costumes look more material, more lived in. You're totally right. You know, you see it in this issue with Bug Boy, you know, the folds of his his uh, sleeves and Plasmo, his his cape. But you're right, that is a very Kirby thing. It just makes it a bit more, it gives the costumes more weight instead of just kind of being these kind of skin-tight, unrealistic suits. Yeah. I, the gag of the nuclear, uh, I guess it's like a generator, and <laughs> he flies it into like a cave and throws it into the underwater water main. <laughs> yes. And just walks away. Yeah, everything's fine. <laughs> yeah. I, again, like, there's so many things that made me laugh, um, making fun of the, the tropes of comics, uh, Rod Runtledge, this is, he's already Fall Out Boy in this issue, but we get a flashback to his origin, but it's the first time we see him in action as Fall Out Boy, and he's on a school trip, and Magmo emerges from the underground, and I love it, they're, first of all, they're like, gasp, that, that, that creature, he, he speaks English, because he comes out and just explaining what he, he wants to enslave humanity. And that's what they're shocked about. But then he changes <laughs> into his Fall Out Boy costume. And then the bullies find his pile of clothes neatly folded. And they're like, you know what this means? And they're like, yeah. And you think they're going to figure out that he's Fall Out Boy. Like, it means he's running around here naked. Ha 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 ha. <laughs> and the, uh, the other one that just made me really laugh was. Uh... Oh, God. Oh, we're doing so you know well. what really freaked me out, though, about reading this comic okay. are, are the hands. Because the Kirby you know, hands, the big hands. Yeah. Well, no, not the Kirby hands. It's like super detailed, like four fingered hands. Uh. Right. Like you know where that person gets bitten by a radioactive spider, and it's not Spider Man, but um. Oh, yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. So you get a close up of the his hands, and I, I I was just like reading all these issues, and it really reminded me of the hands of like the Ninja Turtles. You know? Oh, yeah. Because, you know, the Simpsons hands are like round and like smooth and cartoony. Yes. And then here the hands look more like comic booky and more re kind of quote unquote realistic. But at the same time, they're, you know, not right. And so I kept thinking mm -hmm. of like, oh, they look like the hands of the Ninja Turtles. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I think that's because it's kind of this Kirby style layered on top of the Simpsons. I'm looking at it now like it is they still only have those three fingered Simpson hands, but because they have like those extra creases and like the knuckle creases, it does make it seem more realistic. It is kind of uncanny Valley, but I think that is the kind of layering of the Kirby over top, but it, it goes away after this issue, after we get away from Kirby and go to uh, the seventies. But yeah, it, it does. Yeah. It, it gets away from that sort of, you know, on model. You're totally right. I agree. 
Yeah. And I also liked the uh, the ending that was a very Spider-Man kind of ending where, you know, he <laughs> once again fails with Gloria Grant <laughs> and is walking away. And there's like, you know, <laughs> this kind of outline of Radioactive Man in between the two. She's like, yeah, symbolizing that he can't be a hero and be with her at the same time. It's pretty funny. And she doesn't care. She's filing her nails and just whistling to herself. Like has no interest. Does not know that she's in this, you know, this this you know misfortune of a love story. She doesn't realize. Yes. Yeah. She just can't stand the guy. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. Uh, Rod Runtledge almost becomes Spider Man because him and Claude Kane they end up at this uh, radioactive experiment demonstration, and then a spider, a glowing spider, falls on Rod's hand, and he flicks it away, and then it lands on. Peter Parker and they're laughing and making fun of him going huh it landed on that goofy looking bookworm and bit him and they're just laughing and it's just dismissed yeah. so, <laughs> not only are they like teasing Peter Parker but like he caused Spider-Man to become Spider-Man yeah. just from like flicking the spider off <laughs> um, the the second issue is the one that has the uh, the, the, the ad for all the the toys and stuff and the gags like very comic booky that you would see in old comics you know like the old x-ray specs and stuff you know there's even one for i don't know which issue it was but like the old bodybuilder ad yes. where the guy like comes around and like kicks sand in like the the charles atlas face. yes yeah charles atlas's ads yeah I saw, I saw an homage to that somewhere while i was reading this uh, series. yes it's, it's the back of the first issue it's atlas man so it it spoofs the atlas man comics the classic ad where like this guy's on the beach with his girlfriend and a bigger guy kicks sand in his face and then he goes away in trains but in this one his parents are shot and killed like bruce wayne's parents and then years later he becomes a superhero and comes back and he beats up the character the the villain and he goes here's something i owe you and the villain's like huh who the hell are you <laughs> I love it. I love spoofs of that ad. I've done one of those for um, Monsterella Comics, uh, published by Hangman Comics. I did one of those. I wrote it with uh, and my buddy Nate Bennett did the art and we did our own spoof. That was always like one of my uh, comic book making cartoonist goals is to one day spoof the Charles Atlas uh, ad. So I, I've done that. That's one of the big checks of my, my cartoonist career that I'm very proud of. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I love it. I love it. We'll sh I'll, I'll try to we'll share those on our uh, on our social media as well. Um, so issue two, uh, one of the, my favorite background jokes is <laughs> they trap Magmo at the end when they defeat him underground and then they steal a uh, satellite dish from Zenith Airport to to hold him underground. And Fallout Boy says, do you think the airport will notice? He goes, no, they've got hundreds. They won't even notice the one's missing. And then in the background, as he's talking, two airplanes crash into one another. <laughs> It's just a lack of kind of concern about, you know, a lot of things. I, I, I remember uh, when he catches a bunch of kids stealing TVs and he just decides to just carry the TV <laughs> with the kid <laughs> later on to his home and like have a he's chat. He's worried he's going to strain his back. Yeah. <laughs> or no, he's worried he's out too late. That's that's his concern that he's out late and not doesn't notice that he's looting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's 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 such a dumb character and it's I think so the you know the the lore of the Simpsons the history of the Simpsons Bart's two heroes are Krusty the clown and Radioactive Man and they're both they both very much look like Homer Simpson Bart's dad and one of like the original ideas was you know he he hate he disrespects his dad Bart has no respect for his father 
but he loves these characters that look like his father. And the original plan was to reveal that Krusty was actually Homer in disguise and like he was moonlighting as a TV clown. But it was it was very much intentional that Bart doesn't realize, you know, that he has such reverence and respect for characters that are so close to his dad, at least in design. Um, but, you know, Radioactive Man is almost the same kind of intelligent level as Homer Simpson. <laughs> yeah, well, there wasn't a whole episode about Homer being an impersonator for Krusty, right? So, I mean, eventually yes. they, did, they did reference that in original intention, I suppose. That, that was a great episode as well. Yeah. <laughs> Homer the Clown. Oh, there's that... I don't know, man. I, I I haven't watched it in so long. And, you know, I know it's cliche to say, you know, The Simpsons has lost its way, but it's been on TV now for 30 something years. Mm-hmm. Um, the first issue, the first episode came out in 1989. Um, so it's it's got longevity. But like for me, you know, the seasons three to eight, just amazing. Yeah, I know. I've maybe thought about going back and watching backwards. Like it's all on Disney Plus. So I, I thought that, you know, if I watch it backwards, there, there were some seasons in between, I think, season, I want to say like 10 to like 15 that were kind of like iffy quality wise for me and then kind of turned me off of The Simpsons. And, you know, I, I was a guy who watched The Simpsons twice a day, like every day. So <laughs> it was always on reruns, you know, on, on TV. And so it was kind of hard for me to just kind of... uh you know ah let me see it was kind of hard for me to just turn off the simpsons for a while but you know it yeah it just was kind of landing flat for a bit and then eventually it got better i guess that's what i hear but i haven't actually done the 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 legwork to actually watch those episodes yeah i mean right around the time you and i met and were in film school so we started film school 2003 that's kind of when i just because I was living overseas, I grew up in Malaysia, and we were always like a couple seasons behind. Um, so around that time, and then moving there, like I just by the time and when I caught up, I was just there's something was missing, you know. I, and you know, any show that's on air for that long and like cycling through writers and stuff, and you know, I, I think it still obviously has a fan base because it's still on TV and they keep renewing everyone's contracts, but it it does feel like a bit of a different show. And I mean, I think it's hard to avoid that, but. Um, Disney Plus being able to revisit those episodes and to go back and watch these ones this last week that are connected to Radioactive Man and again the, that kind of sweet spot of three to eight. Um, that's it's been really fun kind of revisiting. But what I like about those classic episodes is just like joke, 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 joke. You know, like you miss stuff because you're laughing so much, and then you have to go back and watch it again and get the stuff that you miss because you're laughing. And I just don't get that from, you know, the stuff that I've seen kind of post two thousand three, two thousand four times. Uh, a lot of these like. Apparently, these newer writers are or were fans when they were kids. And so, it, it you know, I, I maybe that's why the newer episodes are better because they're, you know, not they're not the original um, or the, the people that came after the original uh, folks there. But again, with a show that's running for this long, how do you keep it, you know, fresh? Uh, that's something I haven't quite figured out yet, you know, with with The, the Simpsons overall. Yeah, um, but I, I think that's also why I, I like this this comic series, Radioactive Man, because it is from that 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 golden age of The Simpsons, and it just brings me back to that, and I have such strong memories. Is it all tied together? I, I know that I have rose tinted goggles when I'm watching this, but I I do love this series so much, Kale. I want to just 
one last thing I want to say about issue two. Um, again, making fun of tropes in comics. Uh, Radioactive Man shows up to fight Magmo and he goes, you know, you don't, don't you know who I am? Kind of. He's like, I'm Radioactive Ma. And then he gets blasted and goes, Radioactive Ma. Oof. So then <laughs> Magmo says, be gone, Radioactive Ma. Oof. And that's an ongoing gag they use, not just in the Radioactive Man comics, but in the Simpsons comics, whenever they bring back Radioactive Man, if someone is saying they're declaring their name and they get like knocked out halfway through, someone else will call them that name. I just think that fighting while talking is such a superhero trope. Issue one, I didn't say this, but uh, he's fighting the the communist henchman. He goes, talk, you commie rat. And the, and the commie character says, if you want me to talk, why are you knocking me unconscious, Gurk? <laughs> and just not only are they having like all this dialogue but also just playing up these sort of cliches things you say while you're fighting i know i never got that it's it's such a cliche and they sometimes bring it into like superhero movies as well uh it was thinking of you know the dark knight rises where the there's just this climactic battle at the end and bane is you know having this conversation with batman like before they start fighting <laughs> Like, why would that happen? You've come to die with your city. Yeah, it's like, no, I've come here to stop you. And then, like, why would you do that? Like, just start fighting immediately, right? Like, in a realistic kind of scenario. It's pretty funny. Well, again, I mean, you know I don't like my Batman to talk very much. And I've got so many issues with Dark Knight Rises. Um, I probably need a whole episode for Dark Knight Rises. But I, what I, I like that the the Marvel Marvel movies, I think they do it really well. You know, like uh, Civil War, you know, they'll fight and then, you know, Captain America will like throw down Spider-Man and be like, hey, man, I like I like your style. Where are you from? And he's like, Queens. And he's like, cool. Um, he's from Brooklyn. And then like he goes off to keep the fight going. And like, you know, Spider-Man, he's tussling with Winter Soldier. And he's like, oh, you got a metal arm? That's so cool. And then they keep fighting. So like, I think mm-hmm. the Marvel movies do it really well where it happens in a more of a natural place for them to have like a little quip and then they get back to it. But yeah. these old comics, like you can pull up an old issue of Spider-Man where he's, it's one panel across the page of him jumping through the window and everyone like, there's like a back and forth conversation. Like there's like eight balloons on the page. and Like how long is this moment lasting for everyone to have this conversation? Well, that's it for now. Make sure to join us next time for part two of the Radioactive Man discussion. Plus, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Matt and Kale Read Comics or on Twitter at Matt and Kale Read. See you in two weeks.